All right. Thank you for coming again tonight. Hopefully everyone has a handout. If you don't, there's more out in the hallway, and there's more caring posts out there if you need one of those as well. So just a little reminder of what the name of the class means. So that comes from a couple passages where it talks about how Jesus came down from heaven to us. And so it really draws our attention that he's unique. He's the only one that has come down from heaven and taken on flesh and become our substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. And so that makes him an amazing person and a unique person. And so we, we look to him in faith as our sacrifice um, for our salvation, but then we also get to look to him in faith for everything in life. And so he's the man from heaven. He's both fully God and fully man. And so that's a lot of what we studied last week. And this week we'll kind of uh, touch on an aspect of that, um, how uh, it worked out in his life that he is both fully God and fully man. And so tonight we'll be looking at uh, the temptation of Jesus in the recording we have from Luke, in Luke chapter 4. But first, I just want to review a couple of our class objectives. And so I think these are listed for you in your notes there. Um, But a couple things that we want to have as our attitude and our intention as we approach the study of Jesus. So the first one there is we want to grow in our knowledge of Jesus. And so knowledge is great, and knowledge is very helpful. It sets us up to be able to believe in the right person and to believe in what Jesus actually does. So we've got to have the correct object of faith. We can't just you know, feel, feel what we want about Jesus and believe that or you know, just listen to what someone says and believe that. We want to know from God's Word who Jesus is and what He does and place our faith in Him. And so we've got to have a correct knowledge of Jesus, and then we want to grow in our understanding of our union with Jesus. And so this was something that's been very helpful for me, is oftentimes we correctly think that Jesus is the person we need to believe in, and we, you know, he's always like outside of us and uh, the object of our faith, and that's right and good, but we also need to remember that we are united to him. When we believe in Jesus, we join uh, together uh, with him, as his body, the church, and we have so many blessings because of our union with Jesus. And so we don't want to just have knowledge. We want to see how that knowledge or what's true about Jesus, how that affects us as people that are united to him by faith. And then third, we want to live by faith in response to our knowledge and union um, with Jesus. And so it doesn't you know, we don't, don't want to just stop with understanding Jesus and understanding our unity with him, but we want to take it a step further and say, now how does that change the way I live tomorrow? How, how do I walk by faith in this life because of my union with Jesus? And so I just want to read a couple of verses from Second Peter chapter 1 that touches on this idea of our union with Jesus. And they're really cool verses. And it it's almost... Uh, follows this uh, outline here uh, that we have in our objectives. Uh, so Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so right there, just growing in our knowledge of who God is, 
Uh, That is God's grace towards us. And then verse 3, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may become you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so right there we see that because of the promises that we've been given in Jesus, we, are, we actually become partakers in the divine nature. And so last week we looked at how Jesus is the only fully human and fully divine person ever. He has two natures in one person. But we are united to him. And so we get to enjoy many of the benefits that come uh, that Jesus has by nature of his divinity. And so we don't become gods or anything like that. We just get to, to enjoy some of the blessings of Jesus, the Son of God. And we're not going to read uh, verses 5 through 11, but I encourage you to read that later um, when we're done here. Uh, maybe tomorrow or something, because it kind of jumps into what does a life look like that's lived by faith in the promises of God as we partake in the divine nature. So we don't have time to look at that uh, tonight. Uh, So we're going to continue on thinking about uh, Jesus, and we want to grow in our knowledge, but we also want to have that affect our lives as we consider um, what Jesus did and who he is. So... Tonight we're going to talk about how Jesus was tempted by the devil in, uh, in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. And so this gets into kind of tricky territory, and uh, there's going to be some theology things that we seek to explain things that don't really make sense to us with words. And words, it's hard to express all of it in words. And so there, there's some people that hold to like, they call it a negative theology, where they say that you can only describe God rightly by saying something that he's not, because our words aren't enough to contain what he is. Like, we're just always going to fall short trying to describe God as he is. So, I don't do that, uh, so we're going to try. But our, our language of him falls short. We, we do our best to understand God um, with what we have, and so here's our best shot, okay? So the question falls to us, could Jesus have sinned? So if Jesus cannot sin, does that mean that he can actually be tempted? Is it really a temptation? So that's kind of the question that we have to think through. So you can think about it in your own mind. Could Jesus have sinned? All right, we're not going to discuss it here tonight. But maybe think about how you would answer that um, if someone were to ask you that. And so this is referred to as the peccability or impeccability of Jesus. So the, those words simply, uh, maybe you've said to someone like, oh, that's an impeccable, you know, circle. Like it's a perfect circle. It's without error. You know, it's like it's a it's beautiful circle. Or maybe you've said something's impeccable before. Uh, so very simply, it means without error. Theologically, when we're talking about Jesus, it goes beyond that. It has a a broader scope of meaning. And so it means that Jesus could not have sinned. So it's not that he uh, chose not to, 
necessarily. It's that he could not sin because he is fully God and fully man. And so because of his divinity, he was not able to sin. And so uh, we'll talk about if it's a real temptation after this. But Jesus was without sin, and he could not sin, is how we would say it. And so part of the reason for that is because he did not have a sin nature. Okay, So we believe that uh, we all have sin natures that has been passed down from our parents. So Adam was the first one to sin, and so he therefore had a sin nature after that, and so did Eve. And so they gave it to their kids, they gave it to their kids, my parents gave it to me, and I'll give it to my children. And because of that, we are, uh, we are bent towards sinning. We're bent away from God. Jesus wasn't like that because of the virgin birth. Because he was conceived by God, he does not have a sin nature, and he was never bent towards sin or bent away from God. He was always towards God. And what we'll see is he always had perfect desires. And it's, it's beautiful who Jesus is. And so there's kind of a, a positive and negative to Christ's impeccability. So he did not have a sin nature, but he's not neutral. He's not just like at zero, uh, like not guilty and not righteous. Jesus is 100% perfect. He's 100% holy. He's 100% righteous. And so... Uh, not only was he without error, but we would say he was absolutely perfect. He's the picture of perfection. And we need to keep that in mind um, as we think through this with his temptations. Because when we're tempted, we're tempted differently because we have a sin nature and we're not perfectly holy or righteous or good like Jesus is. And so when we're tempted, we're already bent towards sinning. We already... Uh, desire that from our own uh, sinful lusts that arise out of our sin nature. And Jesus just didn't struggle with that because he didn't have a sin nature. And so I'm going to argue that Jesus was tempted. It is a legitimate temptation, but it is not the same. uh, It's not equal, equal with our temptations that we face. So it's not same, same because he's fully God and fully man. And we're just man with a sin nature. And so it's, uh, it's not apples and oranges, but it's not apples and apples. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, so we can, we can study Jesus, but it's not, we can't perfectly follow his example because we, we have sin natures. And so it's a little different, and I think we can, we can learn a lot from him. And he's pretty much our example of how we should fight temptation. But we have to remember that he doesn't have a sin nature and he's perfectly good and righteous. And so it's things that we strive towards, um, but we're going to have the weight of our own bent towards sin fighting against us. And so it's only by Jesus' grace, through the power of the Spirit, with the promises of God's Word, that we can fight temptation, where Jesus, uh, he was just a little bit different than us. So does anyone have any questions about that? So far. Yeah, just a little bit different than us, right? A lot different than us. But we're joined to him now, so it helps. Any questions on that idea? Yeah. So because he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Yes. And yet without sin, does that refer to his 
Right. Yeah, that's a great question. We'll go there later. Uh, we'll end up there. Uh, but the short answer is, I, I believe it says he's tempted in every way as we are, but it's not saying that he experiences it in the same way, if that makes sense. And so I do think it's referring, though, that he didn't commit sin. It's not talking about a sin nature there. So, yeah, does that answer your question? But we'll look at that, that text um, at the end, and that'll be very helpful to you. So. Okay, no more questions. Do I have a volunteer who's feeling strong and excited about life tonight and ready to not embarrass themselves at all, but just have a good time up here in front of everybody? <laughs> if nobody volunteers, I'm going to volunteer Jim. So got got to get somebody. Come on, it'll be fun. Caleb, I see that hand. Perfect. So the next thing we're going to consider, so if Jesus could not sin, are Jesus' temptations legitimate? Okay, so why don't you come on up, Caleb? Nope, nope, just your muscles. Oh, no. Oop, that wall had that scratch before, I promise. All right, so these are chairs that are set up up in the choir loft and over in the wing. Uh, how heavy is each one, do you think? Like 30 pounds? 20, 20 pounds? 25? 25? Okay, so with no shame, I want you to lift as many of, the, as, many of these as you can at once. Okay, so why don't you start with one? Just proof of concept. Don't hurt yourself. Use wisdom. Okay, one. So you tell me when you're done, all right? And we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Because I have a lot of chairs in this room, and the ceiling's really tall, so. Yeah, we're not getting <laughs> I'll have to pull a ladder in. Three. Excellent. Use your legs, not your back. Yeah, but if I use my back, I'll be done. That's true. Don't hurt yourself. Okay. Getting closer. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting close. Good, good, good. What's that? I don't have to listen very hard. No, just don't die. Well done. What are we up to here? That's seven. Good job. We have a lot of chairs in here, Caleb. Oh, good job. Thanks, Caleb. Well done, well done. Uh, you can just leave them there. That would be great be a big object. Way to go, Caleb. Hands around for him. So why did I have Caleb lift a bunch of chairs? So he lifted seven, but he didn't lift eight. He didn't lift nine. He didn't lift ten. He didn't lift eleven. So what people have argued with Jesus is that because he could not sin, he never, he doesn't really understand what temptation's like. So when you go to Hebrews 4, it talks about how he's our high priest that can sympathize uh, with us in our weaknesses um, because he was tempted in every way as we are. And so people have said, well, it can't be, he can't really sympathize unless he could have sinned, unless the temptations were something that he could have given into. Uh, 
And so they start hypothesizing things, and it gets ugly quick. And so what this teaches us uh, is it's an illustration that C.S. Lewis used to explain why Jesus actually understands the power of temptation more than any of us ever will. And that's that he never gave in to temptation. And so he felt the full force of temptation like we never will because we give up after seven chairs when Jesus could lift all the chairs. He never would have stopped. You just keep adding chairs. I get a ladder in here. Keep putting chairs on. Be up in the roof. Blow the roof off. Got to add more chairs. And Jesus would just keep picking them up if it was temptation. He never gave in. And so uh, I have the quote there for you from C.S. Lewis. I kind of use his name funny here. I say, Clive Staples and the Strong Wind. And so he argues his C.S. is Clive Staples. How often do you get to say Clive Staples? That's pretty fun. And so he talked about how a man that's in a windstorm that as soon as he, as soon as it gets hard, lays down, he never knows what the full force of that wind would feel like because he laid down and gave up. And so a man who, uh, you know, is tempted to lust and gives up after 30 seconds, okay, he felt the power of temptation but he felt the power of temptation not like someone who never gave in to lust. So does that make sense? The, the illustration we're drawing here is that Jesus understands temptation way better than we ever will because he knows the full force of it because he never gave in to the, the power and weight of temptation. And so um, as you look down there in your notes, even though Jesus was not able to sin, the power of the, of the temptation he felt was legitimate. So your blanks there are Clive Staples and a strong wind. And so I'll just read that paragraph real quick and follow along. It's really interesting, the, the surrounding points he makes around this illustration. He says, No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. I just, I love that sentence. Like, yeah, I'm pretty good. Until, until you like try to be good, and it's like, I'm awful. <laughs> Every time I try to do something good, it just, I can't do it. Like, it doesn't work out. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. I just love that sentence. It's like it's so like paradoxical to what we think. Like, oh, they're sheltered. You know, they've never gotten out and seen the world and all the evils of things going on and you know, that's how we think of sheltered. But he's talking about bad people how they're sheltered because all they do is bad. They don't know what goodness looks like. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means, the only complete realist. And so I think that's a great, uh, you know, it's just a thought exercise of, Jesus facing temptation, it was legitimate. It was 
something that he really experienced. And so again, thinking through what Jesus faced as we go and look at these texts, the, the pressure would have been extraordinary. And thankfully, uh, he could not sin. And so he does not sin and he's able to uh, be our spotless substitutionary lamb on the cross for our sins. Okay, so your next blank there is Jesus was legitimately tempted. <clears throat> so let's turn over. I'm going to fool you all real quick. Let's not go to Luke 4 yet. Let's go to 1 John. Um, 1 John 2 real quick. I'm just going to read a verse here for us. So 1 John 2.16 says, these things I have written to you, oop, that's not right. What verse do I have in your notes? That's what I have in your notes? That's not the verse I want. It's not the verse I read. 16, 2, 16. Okay, so you can fix that in your notes. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so that's kind of the outline we're going to take for Jesus' temptations, are these kind of three aspects of what the world is. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So go ahead and turn over to to Luke chapter 4. And I believe it talks about how this is uh, the whole... And so I think what's happening here is Luke is showing that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, as Hebrews 4 is going to talk about, talk about, yet without sin. And so in these three ways, he is tempted, and it's kind of a summary of, of temptation. So let's turn back to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to move pretty quickly through this. And we're going to start in verse 1. It says, When Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Okay? And so, in modern terms, Jesus, not, not really, but we would be hangry, right? Like, have you guys ever had, like, something really exhausting and then you're just hungry? And it's like, I need something to eat now. Or I'm going to, like, start breaking things. Like, it's going to be bad. This is going to be ugly if I don't eat now. So Chris and I do this all the time where we're like, I need to eat something right now. I am so hungry. So maybe you've experienced that. But Jesus, he, he hasn't eaten in 40 days. He's in the wilderness by himself. And what does it note about him? It notes that he's filled with the Spirit. And so that's kind of the key of Jesus going into this is that he's filled with the Spirit. So even though he's in the wilderness and he's hungry, uh, yes, he's, he's perfectly righteous. You know, he's fully God. He's not, he can't sin. He's not going to sin. Um, but also, he's, he's filled with the Spirit. And so I think Luke intentionally points that out here because that's kind of our hope in this. Like, we're not perfectly righteous. We have that on our account if we believed in Jesus, but we're not living that yet. And so the hope is, is that we can be filled with the Spirit and fight temptation. And so I think that's one of the things that we can learn from Jesus' temptations here. Uh, no, we, we can sin. Or wait, yes, we can sin. We're not like Jesus in that we can't sin. 
but like Jesus, we can be filled with the Spirit. We can have the Spirit's help in our temptations. Uh, And so continuing on in verse 3, we see the first uh, temptation of the devil. It says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. I know you always think of like Satan having this nasty, tempty voice. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And so what does Jesus do here? This is another thing that we can learn. No, we don't have perfect divinity and uh, righteousness, but we have God's word, and Jesus has it memorized. And here, here Satan is, you know, you can imagine, they're, they're like, this is war, right? This is, you know, evil Satan against the Son of God, the perfect, good Son of God who's come to destroy Satan. And here Satan is, this is his shot to undo the plan of God. And he has no chance because Jesus can't sin. And he's just, he's launching these huge arrows at Jesus, right? And Jesus is unfazed. He, he, he fires back or puts up the shield, however you want to look at it. In this battle between Jesus and Satan, he fires back with a true uh, thing from God's word, with something that he believes is true from God's word. And it, it fits so well, too. It's in context. He understands what it means, and he responds to what Satan has said with a verse that combats it. And so you see what he says, you know, make this stone to become bread because Jesus is hungry. And Jesus says, I don't need bread. I just need God's word. And I'm completely satisfied. I can, I can keep going. I don't need to eat. I don't need that rock to be bread. I could do it, but I don't need to. I, I'm, I'm good. And it's just really cool how, how Jesus He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.13. And it's just fun to see, you know, Jesus, our Savior, who, who's fully God and fully man, quoting Scripture to Satan. It's like, that's a great idea. <laughs> and if Jesus is doing it in his fight with Satan, how much more do we need to know God's Word, to understand it, and to have that, that right, uh, applicable uh, response to temptation in that time of tempting, because we have a sin nature. We're bent towards sin, and so we need God's Spirit, and we need God's Word to fight against the devil. And so, we're just, oh yeah, we'll come back to that. Um, sorry. So, Jesus battled the lust of the flesh with Scripture. And so, I'm, I'm a little, I don't like saying that, because it sounds like he could have given in to the lust of the flesh, but this is just the, the summary term in that he was tempted in every way that we are. So Jesus was tempted with the lust of the flesh, even though he couldn't give in to it because he didn't have a sin nature. And he's 100% righteous. And so Jesus battled that with Scripture. Um, and so what I skipped over here, uh, it's kind of fun thinking about 1 John 2.16. I have it right there. Um, in relation to this, and in relation to the text we'll look at later, because uh, temptation, it's not just giving in to our desires. Like, that's part of it, like giving in to our fleshly desires. But the other part of it is a t- temptation t- to depart from God's will, to do what we want instead of what God wants. And we'll see that expe- especially in Luke chapter 22, where Jesus is in the garden, and he's, he's tempted to depart from the Father's will of going to the cross. And he says, Father, is there any other way that we can get this done? 
And, and God says, no. And so Jesus says, okay, I'll, I'll go and do it. So we'll look at that later. Um, but there's kind of two sides of that. The negative of our own uh, desires leading us into sin. And then, I guess it's still negative, but we, we want to do our own thing instead of God's way. Uh, so let's look at the next couple verses there. Uh, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said to him, All authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And so... We're calling this the lust of the eyes. Jesus is, uh, Satan comes to Jesus and says, look at all these kingdoms. You can have all of this. All you got to do is, is bow down to me. Just this one little thing and you can have it all. And of course we know that in God's plan, it is all Jesus. It, it, it's all coming to him. It's all going to be his um, in his kingdom. Um, and Satan's like, you can have it now. You don't have to wait on God's timing. It sounds familiar to Adam and Eve, right? Of, uh, did God really say that? Is that the best thing? And here Jesus is facing a similar thing. And again, he responds in scripture uh, that's, that's helpful and applicable. Uh, and then in verse 9, Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on, a pinna- on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you, are, oops, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And so again, we see here that that Satan, he actually, he's like, Oh, I can play that game too. I know the Bible. (laughs) I'm going to persuade you to do what is wrong using Scripture. I'm going to try to get you to leave the Father's plan because I know these things are promises about you to you, but I'm going to use it outside of God's timing. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do what, what's right for me out of my Father's time. I'm going to wait for when he wants me to do that. And so we can summarize this as uh, Jesus battled the pride of life with Scripture. So that idea of, uh, you see how he, how he talks to him, if you are the Son of God, like if you really are, yeah, if you are, I don't think you are, then, then you'll throw yourself off. Because doesn't the Bible say that, that God will protect you, your Father will, will keep you from falling? And Jesus is just like, don't tempt me. <laughs> you know, don't tempt the Lord your God. And then it says that he uh, left and uh, waited for an opportune time. And so, again, just thinking through how Jesus, in his battle against the enemy, Satan, he's walking in the Spirit. He's quoting Scripture. Yes, we're not exactly the same as him, but we have uh, these benefits in Christ. We have these blessings through our union with Christ. And so we, too, can battle our flesh that we do have, and also battle Satan. Um, Real quickly, let's jump over to Luke 22 and look at this quick. So this again shows us a temptation where Jesus is faced with uh, a decision to 
continue in the Father's will or depart from the Father's will. And for sake of time, I'll just read um, all these verses and then we'll, we'll kind of summarize them together. So Luke 22, verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. When he, wrote, when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And so again, we see uh, this time the, the disciples are there and we see more of what we're like, right? <laughs> when the hour of temptation comes, what do we do? We give in to our weakness, our flesh, our, our desires. I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap, right? And, and we just, we give up um, when, uh, in this situation, uh, yeah, we're just, we're weak. And so uh, I'll just put these up here for us. Um, Jesus says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so that's super helpful for us. We need the Lord's help and we have to depend on him. And, um, you know, if we're, if we're not praying, how can we expect that our hearts are going to be dependent on the Lord when we're, when we're faced with a trial? Okay. That's, that's one of the key expressions or, or ways that, that we know we're depending on the Lord is if we're talking to the father and saying, uh, you know, just chatting about like, hey, I really want to do this, um, but I know what you have said, and so I'm going to follow what you've said. And, and just communing with him and enjoying uh, that fellowship. And then in the middle there, Jesus desired his Father's will above everything. So it's kind of interesting here. We see Jesus in his, in his agony here in the garden uh, actually admit a desire not to drink the cup of the Father's wrath. Okay, so he's like, he doesn't say like, I don't want to do this, but he says, is there any other way? Like, can we, can we do this? If, it, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So even as he admits that he, his desire is not to bear the wrath of the Father against our sins, he's still prepared and ready to follow the Father's will perfectly. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's where our hearts need to be is, uh, you know, we have desires and we need to be ready to say, you know, Lord, not, not what I desire. Let, let your will be done in my life. Help me to follow you and uh, just being ready to submit to him. Um, and then third, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. And so I think that's, that's something we often struggle with is we wonder why we always give into our flesh or why we're so fleshy or however you want to say it. Um, and it's because we're, we're not depending on the Lord. We're, we're trying to muster it in our own strength. And when we do that, we're just going to, we're going to melt in our own weakness. Um, and so we, we have to remember to be filled with the spirit, 
to rely on God's true word to fight the temptations of the devil. Um, we got to remember to pray and to show our reliance on God and to ask him for help and then to submit our will to God um, beyond what we want. Okay, any questions on that so far? I pray that this is an encouragement to you. It's easy to to read about Jesus and be like, yeah, good job, Jesus. Thanks for doing that. But, but in a way, it, it helps us because we, we face the same things. And it's harder for us because we're, we're not Jesus. <laughs> but he's given us everything we need. We looked at that in 2 Peter 1. We have all we need to, to fight and have victory in Jesus. Okay, so now what? Uh, this is kind of what we just ran through. So we want to battle temptation um, with Scripture and the Spirit. We want to pray that um, we might not enter into temptation. It's such an interesting prayer he tells them to pray. It's not like pray that you'll have strength in temptation, but pray that you might not enter into temptation. So, uh, And he says pray that you may not enter into temptation in one of them. And I think he's saying like if you're resting in the Lord, if you're communing with him, it's going to be hard for the devil to get a foothold in tempting you or for your flesh to draw you away if you're communing with the Father and, and talking with him. And then lastly, we'll look at Hebrews 4 quickly, and uh, we need to run to Jesus for help. So we looked at Hebrews 2 last week, and so this is um, along similar lines. And so this is talking about Jesus as our high priest. And the whole context is super, super cool. We're just going to focus in on a couple verses here. So verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And so first we see that we can hold fast to our confession because of who Jesus is. So what does the author draw us to? It draws us to the fact that we have a great high priest who is uh, Jesus, the Son of God. And so it draws us to the identity of our high priest in heaven, to why we can make it, to why we can hold fast. Okay? It's not because you know, we're super energetic and can handle this. He doesn't say that. It's because Jesus is in heaven acting as our high priest, our great high priest. And then verse 15 for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so, just running through that, um, so it's not that he cannot sympathize. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He did have a human nature. He does know what it feels like to be human. He felt hunger. He felt tiredness. He felt exhaustion. Uh, he felt all these things that we feel, but he, he could never sin. And so that's, that's the difference here, is he, he felt these weaknesses like us, but didn't sin. And he was tempted at all points, but he didn't sin. And so that's, that's the difference. It's not saying he's the example, and we have to do it just like him. We can't do it just like him, because we, don't, because we have a sin nature, and uh, yeah, we aren't perfectly righteous. But um, he's a high priest. It's describing him. He's a high priest, 
that can sympathize with us. And so it's meant to be an encouragement to us that like, yeah, come to Jesus. He knows what it feels like to be tired. He knows what it feels like to be hungry. He, he knows what it feels like to experience these things. And so why wouldn't you come to him? I think that's the point the author's trying to draw us to here at the end in verse 16. It says, let us therefore, because of these things, because of who Jesus is, and because he knows what it feels like to be human, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that such a relieving verse? You know, we come through the temptations of Jesus and we're like, wow, I could, I could never do that. I would give up 20 minutes ago, yesterday. Like, I, I wouldn't even have made it that far. And it's true. We're, we're like that. We're weak and we can't do that. But we have someone ready to help us, to give us grace in our time of need. And we're invited to come to him. Let us therefore... Uh, I lost it here. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so we have, um, we have an invitation to come to Jesus for help. We are invited to run to Jesus for help. And so that's kind of the, the last thing here is that Jesus, he's our great high priest. He's the son of God and he knows what it feels like. He can sympathize. And so we're invited to come to him for help. Why wouldn't we? He, he wants us to come. It's not like he's up there being stingy with his grace. He's ready to, to pour it out on us. We have all the blessings in Christ, and he's not holding it back. He wants us to come. Um, there's a couple more things listed here in your handout. Um, I might read the, the Luther prayer real quick, but I just hope that this is an encouragement to you as either you fight your own struggles with temptation or you encourage maybe a young person in their fights with temptation. Uh, It's everywhere. We all are in a battle. We're all struggling against our flesh and the devil and and the world. And the, you know, when I was young, like I didn't even have a framework of mind to know that it was a battle. Like it was just like, don't do that. Don't do this, do this, do that. And it was just like a list of things to do and don't do. But to, as a young person, know that you're in a war. Like, there's a battle over your, your soul. And you need to run to Jesus for help, or you're going to get squished. You know, our young people need to hear that, and they need people to walk beside them and help them uh, to know how uh, to come to the Lord for help and uh, to be filled with the Spirit and to memorize God's Word and uh, to rely upon uh, the Lord. And so I encourage you um, to use it to, to help others and, and the character of Christ and who he is to help others in their own uh, walk with the Lord. So real quick, I just want to touch on Luther's prayer here. I think I have it in your notes for you. So this comes from a book of Luther's prayers, and this one's called For Faith to Overcome Trials. So he says, O Father and God of all comfort, Through your word and Holy Spirit, grant us firm, glad, and grateful faith. By it, may we easily overcome this and every other trial, and at length realize that what your dear Son, Jesus Christ himself says, is true. But take courage, I have conquered the world. Amen. So, what did Luther do here in this verse, or in this prayer, that kind of summarizes what we just talked about? Exactly. 
he's, he's praying, and then he, he prays a verse. And it's just beautiful how he does that. Um, I don't agree with Luther on everything, obviously. But, um, yeah, I just love how, how in praying for faith to overcome trials, he turns to the Lord, he's praying, and he, he even quotes a verse about Christ's victory um, of overcoming or conquering the world. So, okay. And then I have a couple songs listed there for you that I've really enjoyed listening to. You can ask Carissa. I, I find songs that I like, and then I just like listen to them over and over again until she hates them. And uh, so she's very patient with me. It's great. All right. Uh, I encourage you to, to look those up and listen to them. They're pretty fun. And does anyone have any closing questions? Otherwise, we'll... Pastor Lance. Have a fun thought? Yeah, for sure. Do you want the mic? Another really sweet promise. Right. Yep. So Jesus is the perfect example of righteous anger. And maybe the only example. <laughs> but. Right, right. And that's where we see that with, um, mostly with God the Father, but with the Spirit too, of uh, God is angry towards sin, right? And he has to punish sin. But it's not, it's not sinful for him to be angry or to punish that sin. It's right for him to do that. And so, yeah, it, it, it seems contrary to us because we often associate or mo- usually associate uh, anger and punishment with sin. But in the case of God, it never is. So, good question. All right. I better send you off for prayer. Uh, we want to value that and spend the time we need to that we may not enter into temptation. So uh, you can go ahead and be dismissed to break up into groups to pray. And hopefully you have a caring post. If you need one, they're in the back. And uh, we got about a little over 10 minutes here to pray. Sorry I went long. Um, Make sure you pick up your kids in the back if you'd like to do that before 825. And you're dismissed when you're done praying. Thank you, guys.